listeners, I am so excited for you to hear this conversation today that I can barely stand it. Today on the show, I have Megan Friedlander, curator of the popular Audrey Hepburn fan site, Rare Audrey Hepburn, and alongside her, Luca Doty, one of Audrey Hepburn's sons. Now, I am a huge, huge Audrey Hepburn fan, so to speak to both Megan and Luca was a gigantic honor. Megan has written an absolutely gorgeous book called Audrey Hepburn in Paris with an introduction by Luca and a foreword by none other than Jean-Baptiste Valli. This book explores and celebrates Audrey's lifelong connection to Paris, featuring all of the places in the city of light she loved the most and filled with never before published stories about her family, friendships, films, photo shoots, and of course, fashions. The text is richly fascinating, but the over 200 photos are just I don't have words. They will leave you breathless and speechless as I am now. This book combines an icon of film in my favorite city in the world. And as a reader, you'll quickly learn how much the influence of Paris permeated Audrey's life. From her films to her fashion to her friendships, Paris has a way of seeping itself into one's soul. And it certainly did so with Audrey. In this book, we get a glimpse of her beautiful life there, and each chapter of the book focuses on a different aspect of Paris that made it so precious to Audrey. We delve into the friendship of Audrey and fashion designer Hubert de Givenchy, who is more of a soulmate to Audrey than just a fashion designer and a friend. Many of these anecdotes and photos, as I mentioned earlier, have never been published before, and it is a delight and a treat and a feast for the eyes. Audrey never actually lived in Paris, but she was an honorary Parisian. She first came to Paris in 1952 as a 22-year-old actress preparing to star in Sabrina, an amazing film, and her role in the movie not only made her famous on another level, but sparked a lifelong love affair with Paris. You'll hear in my conversation today with Megan and Luca that Audrey didn't just have a personal connection to Paris, but she had a professional one too. Audrey took a small role in the film Monte Carlo Baby, filmed perhaps naturally in Monte Carlo. French novelist Colette was at the Hotel de Paris in Monte Carlo during the filming and decided to cast Audrey in the titular role in Gigi, which launched her career. The book opens with a note written to Audrey by Jean-Baptiste Valli. In it, he writes that there was an Audrey in Rome, an Audrey in Beverly Hills, and an Audrey in Paris, where you became the Audrey of funny face, he writes. You conquer the catwalks, the couturiers, the photographers, the unforgettable images of bistros and Parisian counters, but you always remain true to yourself. There are a couple of magazine spreads that are mentioned in the book that have to do with Paris. The Givenchy idea in Vogue and Paris Pursuit in Harper's Bazaar, shot by Richard Avedon and called a visual masterpiece. Towards the end of the book, it reads that she would form some of her happiest memories in the life-altering city. It was endlessly enjoyable reading about them. Now, there's probably no way, listeners, that you don't know who Audrey Hepburn is, but for maybe the one person out there who doesn't, she was an icon of film, but also of style. Some of her films include the aforementioned Sabrina, Funny Face, Roman Holiday, Breakfast at Tiffany's, My Fair Lady, How to Steal a Million, and just so many more. She was also a devoted humanitarian and mother to her younger son, Luca, and her older son, Sean. She left us far too soon in 1993 at the tender age of 63. Let's not hear any more from me and let me bring you Megan and Luca, the dynamic duo. Take a listen. 
thank you both so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. Thank, thank you, you for Richard. Megan, let's start with you. So this is your first book, and you have obviously such a deep affection for Audrey Hepburn. You could have written about so many different facets of her, and you chose to write about her relationship with Paris. So why go in this direction? Well, actually, you know, the genesis of the book started with Luca, and he was the one that came up with Audrey Hepburn in Paris. Mm -hmm. He had come off the success of Audrey in Rome and Audrey at Home, which were two books that he had published with HarperCollins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they wanted a third book. And as Luca described it to me, he wanted to give it a lot of consideration. He didn't want to just jump into another project. And after having finished, you know, writing this book, I understand because it is a big commitment and it's Mm -hmm. challenging. And so he really gave it a lot of thought. And then he came up with Audrey Hepburn in Paris because that was a part of Audrey's life that was so important to her, but hadn't been written about before. It hadn't been explored, you know, in depth in a book. So he contacted me and he and I have been forming a friendship since 2011. Oh, wow. And he wrote to me and then he called me and he said, you know, I've come up with this idea for a book called Audrey Hepburn in Paris, and I want you to write it. And I jumped at the chance. I didn't even give it a second thought, you know. And I was so excited because this was a part of Audrey's life that I'd always been very interested in. Mm -hmm. And I've been collecting books and newspaper articles and old magazines about Audrey, you know, specifically about her relationship with Hubert or Diana Freeland or Richard Avedon, which we find is all happens in Paris. So Mm -hmm. I was very excited, you know, to get my hands on this and really dig into it. And then Luke can can tell you a little bit too about how that kind of came about, how he came up with the idea of Audrey. Yeah, Luke, tell us how the idea originated. Well, at the beginning, it was really coming from my editor at HarperCollins, who, because the other book, especially Audrey at Home did so well, they wanted another project and you know, I'm not into really having to write about my mother. Uh, and if I do, it needs to be fun. It needs to be entertaining, mm-hmm. not only for the reader, but for for, for me. You know, I, I must have a, a drive. So in, in, my, in my head and on the phone with her, we explored uh, her, my editor. We explored different uh, ideas. And quite immediately, the Paris was the the right team. But then after that, uh, I wanted to have the right approach mm-hmm. because what would it would be a, a book about fashion, uh, only different attires at different times of the day it would be maybe a guide uh, about Audrey Hepburn in living and going around in Paris about and things like that. Uh, and at the end, I... I I had this, I felt a little bit uncomfortable just because the, the other two books were very close to me. When I live in Rome. My mother lived in Rome with me. Mm-hmm. It's my city. I have a lot of connections. Audrey at home, it's about her cooking, so her kitchen, her kitchen stories. So that was very personal. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a real uh, life to to together with my mother in Paris. I lived in Paris for a long time, but she, when she was in Paris, that was way before me. Mm-hmm. And so I 
I immediately got this spirit that you know we needed. I needed to find uh, if a time machine, you know, mm -hmm. to go back in that place with uh, with the spirit of not being academical about it, you know, mm -hmm. but be fun. Like, uh, and that's where the the I uh, Megan became the. The, the, the focus of my project because if I wasn't sure she was willing to do it but I knew she was the perfect match for having let's say a time traveling reporter following my mother with Megan's eyes you know a young girl's eyes uh, just reporting her everyday bits and pieces and I wanted especially why Megan was important for me is because I wanted a fresh, young eyes uh, on my mother. You know, not an, an academical one, not somebody who uh, was super proficient on fashion and would had all the perfect details about this and that. You know, and uh, you know, Megan being young, being American, uh, and and that was very important. Uh, I say dictate when 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 I spoke to her, I said it's like don't go out of your comfort zone, you know, do mm -hmm. your thing, don't, and and that's how it started, really. Mm -hmm. I do not have to be sold on Paris. It is my favorite city <laughs> in the world. But if I had never been to Paris, I would feel like I had been to Paris through the eyes of Audrey in, in this book. It's it's captivating. I told you both in the pre-show that I devoured this book like a delicious piece of chocolate cake. And Luca, I'm going to throw this one to you. What was your mother's rela relationship with Paris on a high level? What did the City of Lights mean to her? Well, that that's a very interesting question because that was one of the dilemmas at the beginning. We had a sort of mystery. So there's no doubt that my mother's career started in Paris mm -hmm. because her first traveling job, a multilingual job was for Monte Carlo Baby that was filmed both in French and then another version in English. And, and they chose her because she could speak the two fluently. Mm -hmm. She was delighted because she was able to wear a Dior gown for the very first time. <laughs> there she met Colette. So the old... The, Paris, in that in that sense, is really where the 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 luck struck. You mm -hmm. know where everything started from. Then she went to Broadway. When she did Roman Holiday, but it's really the the, the magic if uh, in her life happened there. Then, <clears throat> as Megan said, there was the relationship with Hubert, and so many things you're gonna find out about the book. Mm -hmm. But in all that, my mother, very surprisingly, or to surprisingly to the public, uh, never chose to have, for instance, a, a flat, even a small flat in, in Paris. Mm -hmm. So the, the book needed to explore also that, let's say, that mystery, why she was so close to Paris and uh, why it was only an on and off relationship. And that is, I think, a good question for Megan. Yeah, Megan, tell us. Well, yeah, when we first started this book, I remember one of the first things that Lucas said to me was, you know, I don't know if there's enough material for a book. <laughs> and in that moment, my heart sank because I was like, what if he's right? Mm -hmm. You know, because he's like, my mother never lived in Paris. 
And I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, she always had a residency in Rome or in Switzerland, but she did spend a lot of time in Paris, but she never chose it to be her home. So what we discovered through researching this book was that Paris was a playground for Audrey. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a place that she would go to get away. It was where she did her movies. It was where she, you know, attended fashion shows, where she sat for dress fitting, or she stood for dress fittings at Hubert de Givenchy's Atelier. Um, it's where she went to charity events and movie premieres. It was just where it was her nightlife. It was fun. It was where she could go out and be with friends. And there was this dichotomy in her life where Switzerland and Rome were home. It was a way that she could go and decompress and recharge. And Paris was a place where she could go and have fun and play. And that was important to Audrey because growing up, you know, she lived through the warriors in the Netherlands in Arnhem. And then immediately after the Netherlands was liberated in 1945, she started working. You know, she went to London, she studied at the, she studied ballet, and then she started doing modeling and bit parts in movies and performing in musical reviews, but she never had a place that was home. So I think when she finally settled down in Switzerland in 1965 and she bought her home there, that was a big moment for her. It was the first time that she was setting down roots. So I think it was important for her to have that separation, you know, of church and state. So one place where she worked and had fun and the other place where she could be a mother and a wife and just be Audrey Hepburn at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Megan, let's stay with you. So you mentioned that Paris was Audrey's playground. What mm-hmm. did she like to do in Paris? How did she immerse herself in the city's culture, which anyone who's ever been there knows is so rich? What did what was Paris like through her eyes? I think Paris really was about fashion for Audrey. You know, mm-hmm. she went to so many fashion shows and we really get into that in the book. You know, we talk about the fashion shows that she went at Chief on Cheese. And then there's a chapter called Paris Fashion Week where she went to the Dior fashion show. And at the time, Yves Saint Laurent was the creative director of Dior. Mm -hmm. And then she also went to the Coco Chanel fashion show. And she went there because she was doing a fashion shoot for Harper's Bazaar called Paris Pursuit. Mm -hmm. And it was shot by Richard Abaddon. Iconic photo shoot. Absolutely iconic. Spectacular. And I was so excited to get the photos that we did by Henry Wolf, the behind the scenes. I love those photos in the book. Just absolutely incredible. Some of my favorite. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what she did in Paris was fashion. And then, of course, she would go to restaurants like Maxime's, which is so famous. And, you know, that was also a part of the Paris Pursuit fashion shoot. And that was someplace that she would go with Hubert and she would celebrate birthdays there. So for her, you know, I mean, a lot of it central was, you know, centered around fashion. It was centered around her movies because she shot seven movies in Paris. Yeah. You know, yes. from the time of 1950, you know, the early 1950s to the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that really was what she did when she went to Paris, you know, and she spent a lot of time with her friends, you know, whether it was Diana Vreeland. Hubert de Givenchy, Deborah Carr, Jacqueline de Roots, you know, um, the Rothschilds. Mm-hmm. That was where she had fun. And that's what we were able to establish in this book. Mm-hmm. And you tell the story so well. And let's talk about Hubert de Givenchy. When it comes to fashion and friendship, these two were made for each other. They're soulmates. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us, Megan, and then Luca, if you want to, about their iconic relationship? Because he plays such a pivotal role in her Paris story and in this book. 
Yeah, well, to me, the two are inextricably linked. You know, I like to say that their first encounter was in happenstance. It was destined. You know, it was predestined. They were meant to meet. It was written in the stars. And one of the things that I tried to establish in the book was how their lives paralleled or mirrored each other in the beginning. You know, when Audrey was first starting her career as an actress and when she was doing Monte Carlo Baby and then she did Gigi on Broadway for Colette and then she went on to do Roman Holiday. During that time, Hubert de Givenchy had gone to Paris to start his career and he was working under, you know, Robert Piguet and Lucien Lulong and Scaparelli and he was really honing his talent while Audrey was honing hers. Mm -hmm. And so in 1951, when he left Scaparelli to start his own label, Givenchy, you know, Audrey was off doing Roman Holiday in 1952. So when he launched his label, Givenchy, and he became, you know, the boy wonder and the hit of Paris, Audrey was experienced that same meteoric rise from the success of Roman Holiday. So when they met in 1953, even though they had both really only been at the start of their career for a couple of years, they really were at the peak of their careers. They were both very well known. Everyone wanted to work with them. And so they came together in this moment of, you know, it, it was it was written in the stars. It was serendipitous. It was just meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so that was what launched not just their careers, but their friendship. And then they went to work on work with each other for the next 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, they became best friends and it was because they had so much in common. And, you know, I tried to write about that in the book. You know, they both uh, lost their father's young. Audrey's abandoned the family when she was five. Hubert's passed away when he was just a child. You know, they both loved simplicity. They both loved the arts. They had aristocratic backgrounds. So they had a lot in common from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Audrey has such a clearly defined image and style, which is displayed beautifully through the pages and pages of stunning, truly stunning photographs in the book. So I'll start with you, Megan, and I definitely want to hear from you on this, Luca. How would you define her style and what was her relationship like with fashion on the whole? Her style was timeless, mm-hmm. and it was because, you know, she did work with Hubert de Givenchy a lot, and they saw clothes the same way. You know, they both saw how clothes moved. They loved interesting details. They loved the simplicity of designs. They loved solid colors. They, it was very classic, and that's why, to this day, her style is still so influential in mm-hmm. fashion, you know? And she would take risks, and we see that in Bloodline in 1979, where she wears that very risque dress, mm-hmm. you know, where her bosom is exposed, but it's covered by that velvet applique. But they really understood each other and what Audrey, and what worked for Audrey, because she had unconventional features too, you know, mm-hmm. and she would always talk about them, the long neck the square face, the crooked teeth, you know, but that's what they would do. They would emphasize those features. And we see that also with the Sabrina Declote, you know, the neckline Mm -hmm. that happened in Sabrina. From the very beginning, she knew exactly what she liked and what she didn't like, and she wasn't afraid to voice it. And in the book, I try to talk about her philosophy on fashion as well and how she says that, you know, learning your style comes from trial and error, you Mm -hmm. know, and it can be an expensive hobby you know because you're trying on all these different clothes and if you buy something and you don't feel right in it and you don't feel authentically yourself then you shouldn't wear it 
you should give it to a friend or give it away because mm-hmm. you always want to mm-hmm. feel comfortable in your clothes, like you're wearing your own skin. Mm-hmm. Luca, what do you remember about your mother and her relationship with fashion and her personal style? Well, I'm going to start exactly where Megan left. It's, I mean, with the word comfortable, mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. is one thing that defined a relationship with Hubert and a relationship with fashion. One thing that we have to understand it's um, maybe it's it's harder for for the new generations but uh, going back and in the early 50s my mother was not a women's ideal rather at the time the women's ideal were rather driven by the men you know Mm -hmm. they wanted uh, so my when my mother started in the movie business with Roman Holiday She was out of standard. She didn't have enough curves. She didn't, you know, she was, uh, uh, she she was not, and she made, she was made felt feeling very uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. because her, her dresses were only, always stuffed, you know, to give her more things. So she, she had this thing first of, you know, not being the right woman in, in the right place not wearing the right outfit and basically being told that, you know, uh, on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So when she meets Hubert, not only they link together as, uh, in a work, uh, in a work understanding, in a, in a friendship understanding It's like my mother so very often said, uh, <clears throat> Hubert was her knight. Uh, Hubert was giving her this this magic armor where she she would make her feel confident, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that for for a, a, a woman that was not confident at all about her ability to perform, her beauty, and to the end of the life, you have many interviews about my mother when she's like she's basically not understanding what what people saw in her, but she understood Hubert's fashion. She understood that uh, the right fashion could make her, could give her this extra extra confidence, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and the fantastic thing and with in the relationship with Hubert is that, as Megan said, they achieved that without... Uh, disguising my mother's uh, uh, features mm-hmm. you know and uh, and coming back to today if you look at uh, at their movies the the script the way the people act and things may have in some ways a little bit dated but the fashion not at all you know, mm-hmm. and Absolutely that, that, that 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 is something that is goes beyond the uh, the right dress, and that I think this is as as we said, it's really out of an under, the perfect understanding of the two of what uh, they they wanted to achieve. My mother had uh, to to answer also your question from a different uh, angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she always said, you know, that men are luckier than women when regarding to fashion because men they can you know they can find a, a suit that where they 
feel comfortable and they can stick to it and uh, and it's fashionable while women <clears throat> in a way always try to change their style and follow the latest trends and things like that and my mother in a way said like you know our fashion should really follow the men's fashion in the sense not of of the looks but in uh, the philosophy you know mm -hmm. try to stick like megan said just before try to stick that things that make you comfortable make you feel well that you 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 wear them rather than uh, uh, being you know hidden in them mm -hmm. you wear the clothes rather than the clothes wearing you and she did that absolutely she embodied that yeah just I'm such a fan and I'm getting a little starstruck just talking to both of you and Luca <laughs> I want to stick with you for a moment because your introduction in the book is is just absolutely beautiful there is clearly oh, so, thank you yes it's just there's clearly so much love there your mother of course I don't have to tell you this is an absolute icon and legend but who was she to you as as your mom and and as a woman that you saw every day and that you saw outside of the spotlight well it's th there's a very close connection with the the theme of this book we were discussing before my mother was a very hard worker she knew exactly what uh, how to work uh, what people expected from her she loved to be hard working punctual knowing her lines you know uh, being rested and things like that but on the other side, she always was able to keep a time off uh, for her family. And I was, mm. we were, my brother and I were very, very extremely lucky to, to, and I'm very grateful for that because we never grew up in a, in a star system, in a glamorous uh, uh, way. So to, to a certain extent, uh my mother was just my mother and and in, in in really a big chunk of my youth i knew she was an actress like mm -hmm. you know she had this job like and she gave it up to to raise us it was not something that uh, was the the big team uh, conversation at lunch or dinners you know, it was rather my father's who was a, a psychiatrist, the patients and the hospital and uh, and things like that. So and, and she really, really enjoyed that. And that goes back to her own youth where she had <clears throat> uh, she, she suffered a lot with the when my my, my grandfather or father uh, went out of the house. So she didn't want to repeat that experience. So. And I think that to achieve that uh, normality, uh, that normality is much difficult to to achieve than 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 anything else. If you are a star like a star like she was, so mm -hmm. she 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 put a great uh, effort in establishing priorities, mm -hmm. and basically that answers the the reason of this book, like. Paris was her downtown, but home was a, li a little bit in the, the suburbs with uh, trees and uh, a little bit of countryside. That's what she needed to, to recharge, but mm -hmm. also that she needed to 
she was never uh, somebody who hid from uh, from from the rest of the world mm -hmm. but switzerland and paris gave her this balance and one thing that maybe if to to to, to the public who is not uh, uh, proficient to the thing it's they, they are not so far away you know it's sure. uh, it's 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 a short distance now it's uh, only a few hours in train but even in in those days, you could fly easily to Paris, even drive in uh, six or uh, five or six hours, or take a train. You know, it's not it's not like uh, crossing a continent. Uh, but really, the the what I'm I'm extremely great, grateful to my mother is to have being able to maintain this ethic and doing so in a seamless way because we never felt like she was missing or giving up uh, anything for us that is absolutely incredible it sounds like she conquered work-life balance you know far, and most of us are still trying to have some semblance of that that's i mean it's an absolutely brilliant way to live and oh, i could just talk to you both all day i have just a couple more questions for you i'm i'm so compelled by the cover photo of the book. There are so many photos and I don't even know who makes this decision. If, if one of you two made it or if the publisher made it, but there are so many photos. Obviously there's millions of photos of Audrey that you could have chosen for the cover of the book. I'm so compelled by the one that ended up making the cut. I think that the um, headpiece is Givenchy, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's absolutely stunning and striking. So did either of you choose that photo? And, and if so, why choose this photo? Um, well, the photo it came from my collection, my archives, because I've been collecting Audrey memorabilia. Rare Audrey for... Hepburn. Yep. Yes, yep. Rare Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> we'll talk I've about been... that in the intro, but I love Rare Audrey Hepburn. I'm such a fan of yours, Megan. Oh, really? Oh, of course. I, yeah. I'm always surprised when people say that they know about my account, because to me, it's just I feel like it's just off in the ether and maybe like a it's bots that I'm responding to. <laughs> no, no, there's no, real maybe, people maybe. looking at it real. And there will be a lot more after this episode, I hope. Yeah, well, so I've been collecting Audrey Hepburn memorabilia for at least the last 15 years on a more serious level. Because when I was younger, I used to just rip out pages from magazines and I would put them in binders and then I would just keep them. But I found this photo on an auction site called Live Auctioneers. And this was mm -hmm. back in 2017. And it had... It didn't even advertise the transparencies. It showed photographs of Audrey Hepburn and William Holden. And it was like 200 photographs of Audrey Hepburn. And I was like, yes, I'm in. And then I looked at a picture and I was like, wow, this picture is pretty blurry, but those look like Douglas Kirkland transparencies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to get this. And at the time, I wasn't even sure if they were real or fakes or dupes or copies. I wasn't sure. But I bid on it, and I think I was one of the few bidders, so I won, and I was so grateful. Mm -hmm. And so they arrive in the mail, and I opened up the box, and it was like Christmas morning. There were so many fantastic photos of Audrey, and then there were, I think, about 100 rare Douglas Kirkland transparencies, all in color, beautiful, with the original plastic you know, lining on it. And some of them had red X's over them. And I was just like, oh, this looks, this looks legitimate. Mm -hmm. And so I just held them in a box for a while. And then when we were doing this book, I said to Luca, you know, I have these transparencies by Douglas Kirkland. Let me go get them developed. And maybe we can work, you know, some kind of agreement out with the Kirkland estate and use the photos. 
So I had them developed. I saw this photo. I thought it was the most stunning photo I had ever seen of Audrey. Mm -hmm. I sent it to Luca. He fell in love immediately. And when I get Luca's approval, I know it's good, you Mm -hmm. know, because he has such a keen eye and he's Mm -hmm. a graphic designer. So he knows art very well. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is the photo that we want. So we approached HarperCollins about it. And they actually said no. (laughs) Really? Do they think it covered too much of her face? Absolutely. Because the thing about Audrey is that everyone wants to see her eyes. And in this photo, her eyes are masked, you know, Mm -hmm. with that veil, the lace veil. And so you can't really see them. But we, Luca and I both felt like that's exactly what this book needed, though, Mm -hmm. because there is a lot of mystery to her life in Paris. And this is very avant-garde and it's all about fashion and it shows a different side of Audrey. And that's what we're trying to do with this book, you know, Mm -hmm. we're peeling back the layers of who Audrey Hepburn was. So a lot went down with HarperCollins in the meantime, internally, you know, our book was originally supposed to go with or be published by Harper Design. Mm -hmm. But after the strike at HarperCollins, they closed down some of their imprints, one of them being Harper Design. Mm-hmm. And our entire team was fired. And we had oh, wow. no idea yeah. for about a month. We were clueless. And then we got a new team. And we had, you know, only so many months to get everything together. And the last cover was thrown out. And so we thought, this is our moment. We're just going to say this is the photo for the cover and just hope for the best. And they went for it. And so we were so delighted because it is so spectacular. It is beautiful. It's rare. This is the first time that it's been published or even developed in over 60 years and so that's what this book is about it's about you know uncovering all these new stories about Audrey finding rare photographs and so this photo was the embodiment of the book and Lucan can tell you a little bit more about the story behind the actual photo dating back to Douglas Kirkland in 1965 and how to steal a million yeah I'd love that yes well it's all a you know it's a connection sometimes happen for the best because uh, that that photo was uh, scrapped by the, the 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 movies marketing because it was you couldn't recognize Audrey too much enough and and think and that and and that's why the the the, the photo was uh, lost. It was not even in the uh, Kirkland Estate archives. You know, it, yeah, it was a, it it was a, that that photo and it's and I, li- I like to see it and. And why not? That the that that photo that is a photo that my mother insisted on making because she loved that that mask, a mask that for once uh, even Hubert didn't want to make because he found it too carnavalesque, you know, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but she liked the idea of uh, being a thief and 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 having this uh, mystique. Uh, but it didn't work. So the the, the photo was basically. Uh, lost the one that uh, Megan found uh, that was of course lately returned to the estate uh, of uh, Douglas Kirkland was 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 buried you know like uh, like a treasure forgotten in a underground and and so he made the first you know first trial is reaching Megan and uh, then he made a second trial, failed trial with marketing at HarperCollins. And in, in some ways after it surfaced. And I think it's a perfect photo also because, you know, 
we all have, independently of all that happened in Paris, uh, we all have, I believe, an idea of Paris of being a little bit mysterious and mischief, mm -hmm. uh, the, the city like that. And uh, uh, the, fa the, the fact of disguising my mother like that, I think it just matches the the the, the book, the city, the, 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 the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It's truly one of the most striking photos I've ever seen, not just of Audrey Hepburn, but ever. And it's there's so many beautiful photos within the book, but that one is is not the one that maybe one would think one would choose. But it's the right one. As you said, it's perfect for what you're trying to achieve here. And this is my last question. And I definitely want to hear from both of you. We'll start with Megan and then close with Luca. When readers close the book after they've mm -hmm. been taken on this adventure of beautiful photos and incredible anecdotes, what do you hope that they have learned? And Megan, we'll start with you and then hop to Luca. Yeah, you know, for me writing this book, it was all about letting and love young Rose. You know, mm -hmm. I, my favorite movie is Sabrina and I just love that movie. And it has nothing to do with her relationship with William Holden or Humphrey Bogart. It's about this woman or this girl who has a lot of insecurities and she doesn't know herself very well. And she goes off to Paris. And when she comes back, she comes back a woman, you know, of the world and she has confidence and it's all about letting and love young Rose. And so that's what I really wanted to establish with this book. Mm -hmm. And while we were, you know, working on this book, the pandemic happened because I got the call from Luca in January, 2020. Oh, wow. And by March, the whole world had shut down. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was actually very grateful to have this book to work on because that's how I, you know, that's how I spent my time. That's how I distracted myself. I just really fell into the research and into the writing. And it really became about escapism for me. And so that was the theme or like the central theme to the book outside of Audrey and outside of Paris was about escapism. And Luca, when we first started talking about the book, he said, I want you to feel like you're a journalist. Mm -hmm. And every time my mother comes to Paris, you're following her in her footsteps. And you're recording every event and every movie and every movement that she makes. And so he said, I want you to have this feel, uh, this feeling like you're a time traveler, you know? And so that's what I had in the back of my head the entire time I was writing it. So I wanted to transport people. I wanted them to feel like they were back in time with Audrey in Paris, that they were attending these events with her and that it allowed them to, you know, have this moment of escapism and, from what was going on in the world because so much was happening and it was every day you were turning on the news and there was a new story and each one was more you know awful than the last mm -hmm. and so it felt very bleak at the time and so I wanted this book to feel like it was you know a place that you could go and dive into and just escape from everything around you so that was my objective with the book. And then also it was just learning about Audrey in Paris. I mean, that was just so much fun for me, all the, you know, frivolity and the fashion and the movies. And I would love to focus on details. That's my favorite. Even just picking out, like, if whenever I was reading an article, if it mentioned what she ate, I was like, oh, that's going into the book. Yep. You know, if it said that she had praline ice cream, that's going into the book because <laughs> those little details are so interesting to me. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so, Luca... 
I, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, then I would like to 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 twist the question because there's one thing I wouldn't like, especially the the younger crowds mm -hmm. not feeling about uh, feeling after reading the book, which is I would I I would hate people saying reading the book and says ah, but these were the good times. They will never happen again. It will mm -hmm. never be like this. Mm -hmm. We live in such a dramatic world with, with pandemics and wars and killings and things like that. Well, you have to remember one thing is that in those days, in the uh, early 50s, Europe, the world, was just out one of the worst events, the Second World War. You know, everybody involved in those movies, in those fashion stories. My mother, uh, directly <clears throat> having experienced the war, war in Holland, were out of disaster, you know? And that spirit, that spirit of creativity, of, uh, as Megan says, living la vie en rose, comes also out of that, of the human ability to uh, survive, and uh, and and thrive, you know. Mm -hmm. Even forget uh, all those people. Why there was so much creativity? I think the secret lies in the fact that the the, the uh, people love and and people uh, willing to, to to willingness to to have fun and and, and explore was uh, <clears throat> you know submerged by 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 the horror of war. And, and 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 that era was the result. So there's never there's ne it's never uh, a time that will not uh, return. All all that vibrancy is in, in us, and uh, we have to remember that you know there's always a better day. Yeah, no, that's true, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because this book is about hope and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And if this book inspires one person to book their sojourn to Paris, then mission accomplished. So oh, you're going to sell exactly. a lot of tickets to Paris, my friends. You're going <laughs> to get a lot we of people. We should get 10%. <laughs> no, no, you should get a cut for that. Absolutely. I, the best <laughs> compliment I can tell you is, you know, we all we all know or we think we know Audrey Hepburn as an icon, right? Mm -hmm. This book introduced me to Audrey as a woman and as a person, <sighs> not just as a legend um, of, of screen and of style, but it let me get to know her. As a, as a person, it, I felt like Audrey's friend, just going through Paris with her. And the photos are beautiful. The text is compelling. I couldn't get enough of it. Listeners, if you love Audrey Hepburn, this book is for you. Even if you know nothing about Audrey Hepburn, I'm not sure how that's possible. This book is also <laughs> for you because you will meet her, whether you know her well or not, in a different way. You will fall in love with her and be enchanted by her. You just don't know it yet, listeners, if you somehow don't know Audrey and her work. The book is called Audrey Hepburn in Paris. It is out now. And as an unabashed fan of Audrey Hepburn and rare Audrey Hepburn, Megan, who's a huge fan, mm -hmm. this is such a thrill for me. Thank you both for joining me today. Oh, thank, thank you, you Rachel. So thank you for the kind words. Megan and Luca, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Audrey Hepburn in Paris. Listeners is out right now. Run, don't walk to go get it. 
As ever, we'll link the book in the show notes. So Audrey Hepburn would 100% be invited to my dinner party for anyone dead or alive. I find her endlessly compelling and fascinating and pretty much always have. So thinking of that got me thinking about what writers would I have at my dinner party? Who would I want to interview on this show that I will never be able to because they've left this earth? Four names immediately came to mind. First off, Nora Ephron. I love Nora Ephron so much that I even have an I'd Rather Be Reading episode about her from May 26, 2022. Nora worked as an intern for John F. Kennedy, then sued Newsweek, as one does, for sexual discrimination because the magazine wouldn't let her write because she was a woman. She wrote for the New York Post, Esquire, Cosmopolitan. She did a script rewrite of All the President's Men with her then-husband Carl Bernstein, and while the script wasn't used, it launched her screenwriting career. She wrote Silkwood, Heartburn, When Harry Met Sally, which is, by the way, my favorite movie of all time, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, Julie and Julia. There's a great HBO movie about her called Everything is Copy, which is also one of her famous quotes that I love. She died in 2012 at just 71, far too young. She was a journalist, a screenwriter, a director. She directed Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, and Julie and Julia. She wrote three plays, including Love, Loss, and What I Wore, and wrote so many books, including two of my favorites, I Feel Bad About My Neck and Other Thoughts on Being a Woman, and I Remember Nothing and Other Reflections. She's witty. She's hilarious. She's everything. So she gets an invite. Also at my dinner party is the deeply intellectual, brilliant, phenomenal woman, Maya Angelou, who passed away at 2014 at 86 years old, which is still too soon for her. She is my all-time favorite poet. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetry, and wrote movies, television shows, and plays spanning over 50 years. She earned over 50 honorary degrees, and in 1993, she recited her poem On the Pulse of Morning at the first inauguration of President Bill Clinton, the first poet to make an inaugural recitation since Robert Frost at the 1961 inauguration of John F. Kennedy. Some of her works I recommend are, first of all, all of them, but I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, Gather Together in My Name, The Heart of a Woman, And Still I Rise, I Shall Not Be Moved, Phenomenal Woman, Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now, Even the Stars Look Lonesome, basically everything she's ever done. I'm proud to say that thanks to my wonderful mother, Joy, who is listening right now, I'm sure, I've actually been in the same room as Dr. Angelou. When I was about eight years old, she came to my hometown in Kansas and did a poetry reading. And afterwards, my mom bought me the entire Maya Angelou box set. And I loved her even then, but of course, so much more now that I'm older and can understand the depth of her writing. Next up is Dominic Dunn, who I adore. He was a writer and investigative journalist who turned his pain into purpose. His daughter, Dominique, was murdered in 1982, and afterwards he began writing about how wealth and high society interfaced with the judicial system. Dominic's work was frequently in Vanity Fair. I love so many Vanity Fair writers. He is probably number one or close to it. Many of his works of fiction are actually based off of true crimes. A Season in Purgatory is probably my favorite. That is based off of the Martha Moxley murder and Michael Skakel. If you are currently watching Feud, Capote versus the Swans, which if you're not, you should be, then you'll recognize the name Anne Woodward, played by Demi Moore, who shot her husband banking heir, William Woodward Jr., 
Dominic loosely based his book, The Two Mrs. Grenvilles, off of that. He also wrote An Inconvenient Woman, The Mansions of Limbo, Too Much Money, and Another City Not My Own, which I believe was loosely based on the O.J. Simpson case, which he covered extensively. He had a show I loved on Court TV, you might remember it, listeners, called Dominic Dunn's Power, Privilege, and Justice. He covered the trials of O.J. Simpson, Klaus von Bülow, Michael Skakel, William Kennedy Smith, and the Menendez brothers. He died in 2009 at 83 years old, and there's a great documentary about him called Dominic Dunn After the Party, where his adventures in Hollywood are dissected. Dominic is my Truman Capote. He would entertain my dinner party with stories for days. And finally, there are many more where this came from, but this is a good start. I would have to invite Julia Reed. Oh, how I love my Southern sister, Julia Reed. Yet another writer that died far, far too young, leaving us in 2020 at just 59 years old. Julia was from the Mississippi Delta. She was an author, a journalist, a columnist, a speaker, and a socialite. Her area of expertise was writing about cooking, entertaining, and affluent Southern culture and lifestyle. I can't remember where I discovered Julia first, but it was probably through her column at Garden and Gun, which she wrote for the last nine years of her life. She started at Newsweek in 1980 and also wrote for Vogue from 1988 onward. She wrote about politics and profiled the Clintons and the Bushes for the publication. She interviewed Oprah Winfrey for the Wall Street Journal. She also wrote for the New York Times, Condé Nast Traveler, Elle Decor, U.S. News and World Report, so many others. Some of my favorite books from Julia are But Mama Always Puts Vodka in Her Sangria, Queen of the Turtle Derby and Other Southern Phenomena, and South Toward Home, Adventures and Misadventures in My Native Land. I have lived in the South for 15 years this year, unbelievably, and I'm a Southerner in my bones. Julia and I also share a special affinity for not just the South and Mississippi, where I went to school at Ole Miss, but also New Orleans, a city that will always hold such a special place in my heart. In addition to grabbing Audrey Hepburn in Paris, grab a work by Nora Ephron, Dr. Maya Angelou, Dominic Dunn, and Julia Reed, and you can thank me later. By the way, I'd put Julia Reed in charge of planning my dinner party, and I would invite my next guest, a very, very famous chef, to come cook for us. Want to know who it is? Tune into our next episode to find out for yourself.